0: Level. I work with politicians. I work with artists. I work with movie people. I work with people in the seven mountains of culture, primarily who are Christians, that have a bigger vision in them than what they're seeing manifest right now. And because that bigger vision is in them than what they see manifest, they're open to innovating, uh, innovative ideas, innovative approaches, innovative churches. This is a fairly new location, I understand. So, so somehow you guys, uh, whoever was here in the core group, materialized. These buildings, this campus, it really is a campus, this parking lot, and I think it's amazing because I know how hard it is to try to find real estate in cities. And all of a sudden this, this pops up. Then I'm sitting back there today in that room back there and I hear the, the spirit, uh, there's a lively spirit in here with the worship. And, and I can feel like the, it's got the pulse of life in it. So, you know, you, as my friend Mario Morello says, you don't yet have your skinny jeans and smoke machines, but you don't need them. Because you've got, the, uh, you've got the lively presence of God in the midst of you. So, something is happening here. I don't go to churches. And if I was going to church, if I was smart, I'd advertise it because I got a million followers and I just pack a place out and go. But I don't advertise because I only want to go where God's sending me and I only want to go talk to the people God sent. So, I've been sent here to talk to you. And I don't normally do these kinds of uh, uh, services, but I'm here because something about you must be pretty important, is what I'm saying that God rerouted me all the way over here to deliver mail to you. I'm just a mailman. So uh, I'm wondering. I'm praying, saying, Lord, what, what do they want to do? And I met your pastors last night, and I really fell in love with them because I love their spirit. It's very rare that you have pastors that have capacity and competence and anointing and ability to steward the flock of God who also have the, the character and the purity of heart to do it. A lot of times you see, like, for instance, you'll see people that have capacity, anointing and gifting, but then you wonder about them, or you'll see people that are really dear people, but they don't have what it takes to do the thing they're trying to do, and you're praying for them. But then you meet people that are actually able to do something great, who have the heart to do something great, and they're going to attract the right kind of people. So then I thought, oh, that's why I'm going to be here today. So then I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? There's all kinds of things we can talk about. And... Uh, And and I I started off by talking about limos burning because I want you to understand something. You, whether you like it or not, if you're going to serve Jesus, he that is going to live godly in Christ, you shall suffer persecution. I think the church, I think we've all lived off the legacy of, of generations of peace and prosperity and freedom. To be honest with you, we're going to have to toughen up a little bit mentally. We're going to have to stop thinking something's wrong when there's opposition. We have this kind of weird reflex on the inside of us that something's wrong when we're in warfare. Something's wrong when we're in trouble. Well, how about this? Something's wrong if you're not. Jesus said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. You got the average church in Phoenix, or average Christian or average minister, they got all upset when they get negative press. Well, according to the Apostle Paul, something's wrong. According to Jesus, something's wrong with the prophet that only gets good press. You should at some point be saying something that offends the flesh. You should at some point be annoying the devil. Can I get an Amen. Now, what's funny about that is Jesus Jesus said exactly what the Father wanted him to say. He annoyed all the right people. His enemies were totally annoyed. They wanted to kill him. But the common people heard him gladly. So what I want you to understand is that when we get the message right, the average Joe really likes the message. It's certain kinds of people that are offended by it. You want to make sure you have the right enemies, what I'm trying to tell you. You don't want the wrong friends. You want the right enemies. And that means the common people in Phoenix are going to hear your message. But there'll be certain people in Phoenix that will not like your message. Who will not like the message of an apostolic, growing, and dynamic church? Anyone who is jealous of the influence you have. I want you to understand what creates persecution. What creates persecution is the jealousy of influence, always. The government persecutes churches in communist countries because they're afraid they're going to influence people and the government's not going to influence them. So they shut down freedom of speech because they're afraid someone's going to raise up influence It's going to contradict what the will of the authority is. The devil, when, when Jesus was brought before Pilate, Pilate was very shrewd. He was a politician from Rome. He, he was dealing with Jews down here. He had his angry Italian cohort there, you know, garrison in Israel. They didn't like to be there. He had to be with them. This was his assignment right now in his career. And he noticed, this is what the Bible says, when Jesus was brought before him, he discerned it was for envy that they had delivered him up. Something about Jesus, even beaten up, even even bruised, even spat upon, he looked at him, took the measure of him, talked to him, looked at these Pharisees and Sadducees, went back to Jesus, and he said, they're jealous. Even In the minority, even beaten up and spat upon, Jesus irradiated such a majesty, such a power, such an authority, such a leadership, that Pilate was intrigued with whether or not he had some kind of a monarchy behind him or thought he was royalty. He says, are you a king? Why would he say, are you a king? Not because of the accusations of his enemies, but because he was carrying himself in such a way that Pilate was fascinated with who the heck he was. you got to carry yourself that way. Jesus, what I'm trying to say is, it was for envy. If you're influential... I'm trying to prepare you for negative press. If you're influential in Phoenix, you're going to get negative press. And when you get it, it'll be from people that wish they had the influence you have, but somehow God gave it to you. You understand what I'm saying? And that's called favor. Everybody loves the idea of favor. If I was to preach on favor, everybody wants favor. Favor is a supernatural smearing that comes from God that attracts to you everything that you need to accomplish the assignment God gave you. It's, a fa- it's like a gigantic magnet on the inside. It pulls towards you the divine appointments, the resources, and the uh, opportunities that correspond to the assignment that God gave you. Favor is a supernatural attraction factor. Everybody would love to have favor because favor gets you promoted. Favor gets you seen by the right person. You don't need to be seen by everybody. You just need to be seen by somebody. Somebody. That's why, that's why you could obey God and say, well, I'm doing this a little different than usual. Most people would go off to Harvard and they go off to here, but God told me to go to this place here. And, and But I'll tell you what, one of the ladies I coached, Donald Trump's first apprentice on The Apprentice, was one of my students. And she I, uh, she said, I said, how did you do, Kendra? She said, she said, well, every day I'd be jogging around listening to you teach. I'd listen to you teach on the believer's edge, doing business supernaturally. And she said, and then one day I put my name in and submitted it after I went to Florida State to, uh, you know, uh, she said to uh, the apprentice and they came down and did an interview and they decided to put me on the show. And there I am up against Harvard and Yale and like Dartmouth and there's me, Florida State. I'm the one that doesn't have the pedigree, I don't have the Ivy League, but God told me to go there. I said, oh, this is a fascinating story, tell me more. She said, well, I'm the first female apprentice, I'm also the youngest apprentice and I did it supernaturally. I said, tell me more. She said, well, first of all, when I'm up against them, they decided they were going to team up and not help me with my project. Everyone has a project. And you can team up two on two or three on one or all work together. Uh, But in this case, all three decided to sabotage me on my project. So I had to do a photo shoot in New York for an automobile company. And I had to do an advertising campaign for the automobile company. She said, and I prayed. I didn't know what to do because they all abandoned me so I'd be the first one out. And the three Ivy Leagues would compete with each other. She said, well, I said, well, how did you you end up, uh, what did the Lord do? She said, "Uh, the Lord will make use of everything you've ever experienced in your life. Here's the interesting thing about your journey. You're going along in life, but everything that is happening there becomes automatically a resource God can use later. Any person you met, anything that you learned. God, the Holy Ghost can go through there and quicken to your remembrance. Anything that was ever taught to you, anything that was ever said. She said, I remember my dad took me to this fish market in New York when I was a little girl. And it was like the stone streets there, and it's really weird. Like they throw fish at each other or something like that in this little market in New York. It's a weird little section of New York, but it's cobblestone there. And it's like there's this fish market. It's an iconic kind of interesting place, if you know where it is. And the Lord just kind of brought it back as a picture. So I got the photo crew, and I got the, uh, the company, put their cars there, and we went and did this iconic little thing in the fish market, throwing the fish. We did like commercial right there and did the promo, and Trump loved it. Because he himself is from New York and nobody even knows about this. He said, it's a brilliant use of that. And then he turned and he said, and who was involved with the project? She said, it was just me. None of them helped me. In fact, they all agreed to sabotage me. And Trump turned to them and said, are you telling me if you guys were working for my company, you would sabotage one of my clients in order to get promoted? All three of them were in the electric chair at one time. So I got all our enemies at one time. And I said to her, I said, well, my theory is that God will give you the anointing and the anointing is that which is yet here. Now, it's interesting, we've got a whiteboard here. I'll show you what this is. So when you talk about, uh, when the Bible talks about favor, favor is always coupled with another word which is called wisdom. See, if you have supernatural attraction that attracts to you, but you don't have the wisdom to know what to do when the attraction comes, you lose. It's not enough to be able to have a million eyeballs on you, you actually have to have something to say when the camera's on. So the wisdom always goes with favor. It happens with Joseph. It happens with Daniel. It happens with Jesus. It happens with David. So the wisdom means you've got to be patient while God teaches you things. And a lot of your wisdom comes from making mistakes. You learn what works by finding out what doesn't work. So it also keeps you humble to make mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, then God has to give you a mistake so that He can get you humble to teach you the next thing. So favor plus wisdom go together. And I said to her, I said, well, uh, I'm curious about one thing. Uh, you, you won the thing. In my experience, when you have this favor and wisdom, it kind of comes together to produce the excellent spirit. Excellent spirit. This is what Daniel had. He said, Daniel had an excellent spirit and the word excellent spirit is the word YAT. am uh, going it's pronounced this way, yatir, though it's spelled differently. Yetir means the mountain that juts up higher than everybody else. Do you know what the Latin word mediocre means? Latin mediocre means halfway up the mountain. Mediocrity is the average for people that don't have an anointing. What they celebrate as being peak performance is actually under what's possible if God gets in the performance. Let's say this again. Human nature will produce that. This area here that can only be done is the uh, Yatir is done by the Spirit of God. It's when the favor and the wisdom of God comes down, you go jutting up higher. The excellent Spirit goes higher. So I said to her, I said, well, you Yatir it out in front of your peers, and I'm interested in how God did that. You got the apprentice award, right? So uh, explain this to me. And she says to me, which was absolutely opposite of what I thought. I thought, well, God will cause you to go further than your enemies." She said, not necessarily, in my experience. What God did was, I didn't have more talent than them. I didn't have more intelligence than them. What God did was, he didn't speed me up to make me faster. He slowed them down to make them slower. I said, what? She said, if your enemy, if, if God can't make you run faster, he'll make your enemy move slower. And right away, boy, I just like the a Holy Ghost whack. I thought, oh, this is important because so often we're all achievement-oriented. We're all, yeah, to your favor. And then it's like the Lord says, ah, sometimes it works the opposite like that. It's not that you end up going up because you excel. It's because they look worse. In that case, they all went down because they conspired in their bad character to sabotage a lowly Florida state girl who Trump has an instinct about their pomposity and elitism because he had to face it his whole life for Manhattan people. He's from Queens. And they're all Harvard and Yale, and he's Wharton. So he was sensitive to this, what it's like to be treated like a second-class citizen. So he actually sympathized with her. I said, Lord, is there any evidence in the Bible of that? I like all my ideas to be grounded in the Bible. So the Lord says to me, well, when the children of Israel exited out of Egypt, they were taken off out of Egypt. You remember their foot, they're on their feet. They're walking, they're carrying stuff. They've got all the plunder of 400 years worth of stuff that they had, they had labored for, and God gave it all back to them in one exit. All the years of uh, of, of lost battles, God can restore to you when it's time for your transition. So here they are transitioning out of Egypt. Everything that they've lost generationally is being given to them in one generation. It's an end time revelation right there. But the enemy is coming after them with superior power. Technology, centralized banks, control of the media, government, CIA, FBI. I don't care what the apparatus is that Pharaoh has barreling down on them with their iron chariots. And these poor little Jewish foot soldiers walking in the old day people carrying stuff with their luggage and everything. And here comes the machinery rolling down with the horses. And what did the, what did the Lord do? The Bible says God caused the wheels to come off of Pharaoh's chariots. Kaboom! Dragging those, those big heavy iron things through the sand. The horses are trying to go. So God basically slowed down this what the Lord said to me. If I don't make you faster, I'll make your enemy slower. All you do is give 100% of what you got. You can't give any more. Does that make sense to you? So what have I said so far? You're a different kind of church. God has a different purpose for you. The type of people that God wants to attract to this church are innovative people that have something on the inside that they want to do that they haven't done yet. If you're not that kind of person, at some point you'll be uncomfortable. And if you're successful as a church, you're going to succeed in doing some things. That will probably attract attention. The attention that you get may make you nervous, but don't let it make you nervous because it's really not designed to make you nervous. It's just to make, it's to help you know you're having an impact because all of those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but you don't want to be persecuted for ignorance sake. You want to be persecuted for righteousness sake. So you want to be doing right things that causes your enemies to pick on you. And who's going to pick on you? I'm prophesying ahead of time. People that are jealous of the influence you have. And I'd love to see church unity, but sometimes when churches that are innovative come forth, it's a religious spirit that attacks them first. You got a lot of goodwill with pastors. I want you to continue building goodwill with churches, continue building an apostolic uh, rapport with all churches. But I'll tell you something: when you really start to have impact, religious spirits become jealous of you first because you become like a people in a church and doing something, and everybody wants to question about well, what's going on over there, and they want they want to find a reason to criticize it. And you have to be able to handle that. Look, I may be prophesying something that's way down the road, but I'm telling it to you now so that you can know when it happens, everything's okay. Does that make sense to you? Now, the same thing happens to you. You want to go into a certain mountain. you got a dream you got to do as an individual. Let me tell you something interesting. You want to go into that mountain. So let's take Daniel. We're talking Daniel. Daniel had an excellent spirit, the Bible says. Excellent spirit, which is Yatir, which means it goes up higher than the other mountains. That's the area of the anointing. And uh, Daniel had favor and wisdom. And he had a certain gifting, the Bible says. He was able to interpret dreams and solve solve riddles as a curious anointing. He basically could be a problem solver and a dream interpreter. You guys track with me so far? And he was in a place called Babylon. Which is like end times, we're going to be in Babylon. So here's Daniel in that place. But I want you to see what happens. God gives Daniel uh, Shadrach... Meshach, and Abednego, which is the, uh, which is, uh, which they're going to be giving, which they're going to, all these three Jewish boys have been deported at the same time. But I want you to see what God immediately forms in Babylon is an ecclesia. He puts the four sanctified young Jews in the heart of the enemy's camp and they come together and meet in Daniel's house and pray together, and God gives them collectively a yatir over all the other people in Babylon. Next thing you know, Daniel and his buddies are at the top of the government mountain. And how are they doing it? They've got, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my ecclesia, and the church of hell will not prevail against it. I'm telling you, Daniel is such an end-time book, the Bible believes that, The Bible teaches pretty much that John in the book of Revelation takes the little book and eats it. Everybody believes the little book was Daniel's book. Because Daniel is the John of Revelations for the Old Testament. Talks about the Antichrist, talks about history, talks about the rise of world powers. Predicts Alexander the Great coming. Predicts Rome. Predicts the ten nations, the ten kings, the ten toes. Even predicts for those of you that want to go down the conspiracy crazy trail about the uh, about the mingling of uh, fallen angels with men, trying to produce their own hybrid, kind of like in the days of old when when the angels came down and went to the daughters of men. All of that is implied in the in the in the hidden code of Dan. Daniel. Daniel is the revelator of the Old Testament, and when you put Daniel together with a with the Gospel or with the revelation of Revelation you have a threaded revelation that is completely powerful. So I say Daniel's an interesting dude to watch for your end-time church. And what did Daniel have? He had a church in the middle of a hostile government. He had a church in Babylon. And what's even funnier is, he was at the top of the influence heap. Because he wasn't just hiding out there, he was influencing. He actually was the personal director or advisor to three consecutive presidents. Now, most of us would think, well, Brother Lance, that, that's kind of weird teaching, because here's how, here's how we have evolved. I look at the world, and God gave me seven mountains as a revelation years ago. That's how come I'm so big on mountains. And the reason why I got the seven mountain revelation is because my friend Kim Clinton, and I was a great prophet, South African prophet, he, uh, he told me about a prophecy he gave to Senator Michael Kratz, a guy that was a real estate salesman in Atlanta, Georgia, and he told me he was going to have a son named Caleb who was going to walk on the same political steps as his father and that Michael was going to be uh, was going to be in politics. Well, Michael Kratz was a young, charismatic business guy, wealthy real estate guy. And but his wife, Phyllis, just got saved. He hears his prophecy in a church. He starts running for office. He runs for office, he's in Conyers County, Georgia. He's right walking outside the Marriott Hotel after he does a speech, falls down dead of a heart attack. Dead of a heart attack, why do I know that? Because for 15 minutes, uh, they have the paramedics working on him. And the paramedics have like a video of them trying to work on him. And they can't get a heartbeat. They'd like to get a heartbeat, resuscitate it, so they could put him in the back and get him, you know, get fixed. But they can't even get the heartbeat. Then they got like 15 minutes to get down to the, ho- the hospital. Then they got 10 minutes where they're working on him there. Well, it's like 40 minutes in my book. The, guy's, the guy hasn't been breathing. He's out of his body. I said, Michael, what happened? He said, I was in Paradise Lands. I was right there. He's a matter of fact. I was in this place. Uh, he said, for 38 minutes I was conscious of it. He said, I was in this place with Jesus. And I was there, he said, and I'll tell you, it was such a great place that I didn't want to come back to earth. He said, it didn't matter. He said, this, he said, think about this. Some of you people that are praying for people that are saved and you're in the hospital and you're weeping and praying and commanding. It could be they're fighting you. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what's even worse. They're praying for you to die. I'm serious. Michael said, Jesus said, uh, you know, you have you have an assignment. He goes, I want you to send Phyllis and Caleb here. Send Phyllis and Caleb. I don't want to go back. I want them to come be with me. I want to be where you are. Jesus even said, Father, I pray that those of you have given me be with me where I am. In other words, to depart is better. Even the Apostle Paul says, better to go than stay. I guess for your sake I'll stay, but I'd rather go. In other words, once you've gone through that door, it's like being in Arizona parking lots and then coming into an air-conditioned room. Who the heck wants to go back in the parking lot? <laughs> oh, like, you want all your friends come into the air room, please? Oh, God, send them in here. <laughs> so while you're praying for your friends to get resurrected and healed, they're praying for you to die. <laughs> now, so the Lord says, I want to show you something, Michael. And he shows them this, this lake of water. This pond of water suddenly appear, materializes. And the Lord shows them these circles, these spheres, these islands. Now, I'll tell you exactly the story I was told. I called Kim Clement's secretary. I said, I'm going to go meet with, uh, with this man, uh, Senator Kratz. I want you to tell me, Debbie, uh, how to prepare for this. I got a camera crew coming down. I want to interview him. I'm so fascinated with this story. She goes, Okay, Dr. Lance. She goes, What happened is Michael saw this lake, he sees this ocean, and suddenly out of the ocean come these seven islands. And the seven islands became seven mountains. And suddenly there was one mountain that emerged on the horizon behind them. And the Lord said, that is the mountain of my kingdom and it is greater than all the kingdoms of this world. And at that moment, Michael realized that those mountains were world kingdoms and that God's kingdom towers over all the kingdoms of this world. And then the finger of the Lord pointed at one of those seven mountains and said, that is the mountain of government. And Michael, you are called to go into that mountain. But there must be agreement. Agreement because you have a will you have to say yes to the call of God and so somehow Michael realized then that there was the the will of God was being contended and he said yes Lord and at that moment he goes back into his body and finds his wife Phyllis is commanding his spirit to come back into his body before they start carving him up to take organs out of him as an organ donor and he beep 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 the diodes go off And the doctors freak out because he's been dead for like 40 minutes. And as a matter of fact, the one doctor that was there that had total unbelief turns to Phyllis Kratz, who commanded him to come back into his body. He said, now you've done it. That's what he said. She goes, what? He goes, we'll be lucky if we can keep him in a coma. Even if he comes out. After 40 minutes without oxygen, his brain will be half dead and he won't even remember anything. He won't even remember you. She goes, oh, she doesn't know. She's a young Christian. She's thinking, did I do something wrong? Did I make a mistake? Was I interfering with God? You know, she's all this witchcraft hitting her head. Well, within 24 hours, Michael was completely restored and healed and he went on the run and got reelected like three or four times. He, that's how come I could do the interview with him. He was alive. But Something weird happened. I come down and I say, tell me about those seven mountains. Because I was so excited about those seven mountains. I'm up in Kelowna, British Columbia, Wesley and Stacey Campbell's church. Seven mountains, I'm preaching. I'm on my way down to talk to Michael Christ. I give them the seven mountains. And I'm getting great revelation of the seven mountains. And the kingdom of God is greater than all the mountains. And I'm saying, we've got to find out what those seven mountains are. Because I know the mountain of government is one of them. Because the Lord told Michael, you must go into that mountain. And there must be agreement, Michael. Lauren Cunningham was there. He said, I'll tell you what the other mountains are. I go, what? He goes, Bill Brighton and I met. 20 years ago we met. God put us together in a meeting. And we both had the same revelation. He and I, he pulled out a piece of paper and I pulled out a napkin. We both were getting the same thing. I was seeking the Lord on Colorado. And uh, he was seeking the Lord. And a donor who was com- contributing to both Campus Crusade and Youth with a Mission made us get together because I'm charismatic and he's, he's evangelical. And we, big organizations, but we both don't flow together. And the donor, the, the donor made us get in unity. There's a hint. So we go to a restaurant where he tells us to meet. And I pull out my little piece of paper. I said, I said, uh, brother, I said, the Lord show me that if we can get the church and the family, there's seven domains and the schools and the politics and the entertainment and the, uh, and let's see, what was it else? And the media and the business, that if we were to take those seven Mind molders of influence, and if the church would just focus on deploying into society as salt and light, and bringing the gospel of the kingdom, take the anointing of begin to dispossess and possess those ears. We could disciple nations in one generation instead of doing it all trying to lob grenades from TV and prayer walks over there in the church. We go into the systems because that's where ninety percent of us live anyway. Well, Bill Bright goes, "That's amazing." The Lord gave me a revelation of seven world kingdoms. You call them mind molders, I call them world kingdoms. And they are religion, academia, family, government, um, arts, uh, news, and finance. They both had the similar language. One called them mind molders of culture. The other one called them world kingdoms. And I'm shocked because I now know the identity of all seven mountains in the great revelation that was coming to Mike cross in his resurrection. So I go down to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the very first meeting of the Voice of the Apostles, Randy Clark, Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, Leif Hetland, and they're all going to have their great thing going on there, and uh, I'm going to be part of the Voice of the Apostles. They only invited me to one. It's kind of interesting. and uh, <laughs> Which is because, I can say they're anti-Semitic, but that's not the reason. It's because I get involved with the Government Mountain, and Christians get nervous. Everybody likes to talk about this. People don't like to do it. So anyway, I got up there and I said, you know what, I just saw this movie Gladiator. I'm on my way down to meet Michael Cross. I got my film crew going to meet me in Atlanta. But I want to tell you about this movie Gladiator, I think here's where the moment is we are. I said, I want you to think about this. There's this moment where uh, Maximus, Desmond Meridius is standing there in the middle, the commander of the Felix Legions of Rome. And he's, he's basically been exiled. He's an underground gladiator from the Northern School of Africa. He wants to be in Rome because as the commander of the Felix Legion, that, uh, that Marcus Aurelius, the true leader of Rome, his son has actually killed the father. And the son killed Maximus's wife, and the son tried to kill Maximus, and he doesn't know what happened to him. And Maximus is bent on revenge, and he's going to do it as a gladiator till he gets in proximity to that emperor, and then he's going to kill him. But while he's in Rome, he ends up with a different mission. He has to restore the Republic to the people. He's, he's, his vengeance changes a little bit, and he has to try to save the nation. Well, it's a great little story, but here's the part that I want you to catch if you never saw the gladiator. How many of you ever saw a gladiator? Well, okay, most of you got it. There's a scene where he is standing in the middle of the arena, just makes his arrival in Rome, trying to spy out the land. He's underground with a helmet on. And uh, suddenly he hears the proctor introduce what's going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you a recreation of the second fall of mighty Carthage. And there on the barren plains of Sarnox stood the invincible army of Hannibal, brute mercenaries bent on death and destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the barbarian horde. And he puts his hand out, and everybody goes, boo. And Maximus looks around and goes, ah, we're the barbarian horde, evidently. This is a recreation, and we're the bad guys. Okay, I get it, and all the arenas, boo. You want to see them kill the barbarians. And then he says... And they were defeated by the legions of Scipio Africanus. And uh, Maximus knows as a general exactly what's about to happen. He says, all right. He knows that Scipio had chariots that ran down the foot soldiers of Hannibal. It was an unusual defeat because Hannibal was hard to beat. And so he says, whatever comes through those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together which always struck me as interesting because he's called the Spaniard, but he talks like a New Zealand accent, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but it comes to those gates. We'd better try to survive if we went together. <laughs> and they all go, hmm. He goes, on oh, my command. He takes over. Well, he's Maximus. He's the hottest gladiator they had. They listened to him. And so, boom, the gates break open. The chariots come flying down. As I'm in the theater, the Spirit of God starts to hit me. I get goosebumps all over my arm. I go, oh, this is weird. I normally don't get Holy Ghost meeting me in a theater. I mean, if anything, I'm half wary. If the rapture happens, I'm in the wrong movie. Will I go? <laughs> Chariots come, swarming out, and Maximus gives these lines. And every, every line, I'm sorry to say, is almost like a prophetic injunction. Come together. Come together. Closer. Closer. And you see these gladiators over there with their spears, they're backing in, they're backing in, and then they cir- draw a circle around themselves. And he says, lock your shields!" And then boom. boom, 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 boom. all of them lock their shields in a perfect 360-degree, what's called Roman tortoise position. They've created a wall and shield around them to compensate for what's coming against them. Very important, you have to be in a company that knows how to walk in unity enough to lock their shields, because you can't cover everything. You need to trust somebody to be covering your butt while you're covering their butt. You're both facing two opposite directions. You can't be looking over your shoulder and looking here. Someone's got to be taking care of praying for you, your family, and covering your finances. It's a terrible thing when a pastor and a ministry is believing God for financial blessing and exp- expansion, and the church isn't functioning and prospering and giving the way that God intends. And then the stress comes on. Then they got to look over their shoulder. They got to do banking. They got to do all kinds of other gimmicks in order to get money going. And then their anointing starts to drop. That's what happens. The devil takes good people out. Anyway. They got their 360-degree Roman Taurus Lock your shields. The chariot comes down. It's barreling down, barreling down, barreling down. And just as it comes up and intercepts them, Maximus says, hold, hold, as one. It's a crazy thing to say, as one. And they shout back, as one. And the chariot bashes into the shields. And boom, their unified, overlapping shield creates a Probably some kind of a, and, and Nick can explain it to us, it was a force multiplying effect. It's that the overlapping, sh- each shield strengthens the other shield. If it was just one, they get mowed over. But the fact they were overlapping created this overlapping. 13 of them were able to resist one chariot. Boom, the chariot bounces off the wall. The crowd goes, ooh. It's as though something's starting to break off the crowd. Oh, it was a fascinating thing. Look at this. That's interesting. Then they come a little bit closer to go see what's going on. Next thing you know, Maximus says, well done, just like Jesus would say. And then he says, they're going to come back. Hold. They come back again. This time with greater determination, greater force. They're barreling down right down the middle. They've got to break this thing up. This time Maximus gives a different command. You don't hear it unless you look at the subtitles. He says, hold, hold, hold. Then he goes, diamond. Diamond was an Alexander the Great command. Alexander the Great, military genius when his enemies were rolling down carts filled with rocks and boulders upon his troops, ascending up, what, what Alexander told him to do is, I want you to lie down and make a perfect ramp of overlapped scales. Lie down, one shield over another shield. And, get under them. and they all collapsed under their shields. And the, the carts came down. Tons of debris rolled right over his army and went over their heads. And then they rose up and went right up and took them out. Diamond. They knew what they had to do. Tilt the shields. So this time, as the, as this uh, thing came with ferocity, they wouldn't be able to stop it. This time it would break them up. So they leaned down and lay, and layered their shield at an angle, and then they pushed with their shoulders and flipped the chariot. Woo, now chariots are flying. <laughs> Maximus gives the command, single column, single column. Fortunately, all these guys were trained in the army. They were all conscripts from military campaigns. They were good fighters, they could take orders. They go, boom, on this side, boom, on this side. Maxus jumps up on one of the chariot's horses, cuts off the chariot, gets in the back of it, and goes up behind them while they're reorganizing and starts taking off their heads. Fascinating piece of, piece of cinema. <laughs> and by the way, it's a biblical thing. You read Zechariah where the Lord says, Upon his horsemen taking off the heads of the charioteers. It's literally a biblical statement. Well, the crowd now, instead of, cheering against the barbarian horde, is now going, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. He's on his little white horse. And I tell the story. And I say to everybody up there, and I'm taking you back in time now to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, First Voice of the Apostles event. Heidi Baker, Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, all these mighty people of God. I'm on my way to go meet Senator Cross. I just gave him the Seven Mountain Revelation. And I go, I believe this is a historic moment. Let's rise up. And we'll ask the Lord to unify the church in this hour because I believe the gate, whatever the gates of hell sends against us, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. Yes. I believe what Russell Crowe said is a word prophetically. The goosebumps were in the theater. They're on me now. Whatever hell sends through those gates, the church has a better chance of survival if we lock our shields. Yes. I said, rise up, and on the count of three, we're going to say, as one. And we will say, as one. when we say, as one, just as Jesus said, Father, I pray that they be one as we are one. We'll be in unity for this end time. They rise up, and they rose up. And I said, on the count of three, one, two, three, as one. They said, as one. And I kid you not, as we said, as one, the angelic realm echoed right on top of us. As one, right on top of the room. And like the Bible says, some said it thundered, some said this. Some people just shouted and cried. Some people freaked out and started screaming. Because some people thought it was an echo in the room, and other people knew it was angelic voices. I went back to that same room. I said, I've got to know. I've done it 30 times. We cannot get the angels to agree with us. Because it was the first time and it wasn't, it was a sign. And I, so it wasn't a natural acoustical effect. It wasn't some kind of an echo off the ceiling. It was the divine angelic as one. Because if we move the way heaven wants to move, then heaven and earth are moving as one. Does that make sense? But I also think in a weird way, it was a vindication of my message, which is why it was very unusual. When I went down to Georgia after that, after getting my missing pieces there from Lauren Cunningham, a youth with a mission in Kelowna, British Columbia, and then going on there and having, yeah, this one with angels in agreement. And then I got my camera crew, Michael Crotz. Tell me about the seven islands that grew up out of the ocean that became mountains. And the great mountain that appeared behind them. That is the mountain of my kingdom. He looked at me and he said, what? I said, you know, your experience. He goes, well, I don't remember that. I go, you don't remember, you don't remember that? He said, oh, no, no. I remember that there was this lake in front of me and that these spheres, these islands grew up out of the lake and out of the lake there was these islands and then that suddenly God's people were standing on those islands and the Lord said in a time of shaking with the shaking hands, I noticed that they were God's people in occupations. They were weird because it was like the business guy and the shopkeeper and the, this person. It was people with occupations. They were standing in spheres and God said, they're ruling in their kingdom. And I saw that in a time of shaking, God's people are going to be standing and occupying the spheres that they've got. I was so upset because I just had Brit- Kelowna, British Columbia and the entire voice of the apostles all given false doctrine on my seven mountain revelation. This is the origin of the seven mountain revelation, by the way. And I called up Debbie Orrin, Kim Clement's secretary. I said, my gosh, Debbie, you got me preaching the wrong thing. I said, the preacher's great, but it's an error. And she says to me, Dr. Lance, I don't know who you talked to, but I didn't talk to you. I said, Debbie, this is the number I called. And you are Debbie. And you work for Kim Clint. And I asked you what happened with Michael Kors. She goes, I'm not saying that you didn't talk to someone. I'm saying you didn't talk to me. And I'm the only person at this number. I have a phone. I ask you, who was I talking to? So I called back Mike Krotz. Mike Kratz and I became great friends. He called me up. He called me up uh, last summer. He called me up last summer in, in July. I was in Aruba at the time. And he called me up. He said, Lance, I want you to know something. He said, you know what the Lord told me? He said, you are only remember part of what you experience in heaven. I'm going to, I'm going, you're going to remember only part of what happens He said, I actually believe the seven mountains was what this vision of heaven was all about. I'm calling you to tell you the seven mountains is the reason that God gave me that whole revelation in heaven. I think the seven mountains is the message. I believe this was part of what God, I experienced up there that I didn't recall. Because I could only recall the little part that he wanted me to remember. You've got to get that message out again. I feel that time is now. I go, huh, really, Mike? He goes, get a book out now because right now is the time when the arena is going to open up, when the enemy's coming in and God's people need to lock their shields in every mountain. I said, okay, Michael, let's get together. He said, I'd like to go to Detroit with you. I go, you want to go to Detroit? He said, yeah, where Kim went, we got a lot of invitations, let's go. A day later, I got a call from Kim Clement's daughter crying and sobbing. Lance, have you heard? Heard what? Michael Kratz is dead. He's he not dead, I just talked to him. She said, no, he finally is dead. Phyllis called me. <laughs> He's dead, and he just died. He died the day after he called me to tell me the message I got was from heaven. He's convinced he got that in heaven. He's convinced that what I'm preaching is what he was seeing, and that I've got to get the message out. And then he dies a day later. I call Phyllis up. I think, was oh, Phyllis. She goes, I heard the whole conversation with Michael Lance. He was, I was in the room with him. I heard everything he told you. I believe God had him talk to you before he left. So, i leave it with you. Mysteries, aren't they? They're big mysteries. Who did I talk to? Where did I get that extraordinary story from? And why would God show up when I'm preaching it? And then how come I got those seven? It's not just me. It's Lauren Cunningham. It's Bill Bright. Every, I got, we've got tons of knockoffs. Everybody else preaches the same message. But here's the point. The Lord says to me, gates of influence. I started asking him, I said, well, how does this work, these world kings? Lords, at the top of each mountain is a small company or a remnant that have disproportionate influence at the top of that mountain. Understand where the gates of hell are located. It's kind of an abstract idea. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Gates are organized militarily like hierarchies. It's principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in heaven. But Satan has a hierarchy. He's a military commander. Michael has armies. It's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angelic armies. You're, we're the only part that's spastic. We're the part that doesn't have an army. Everybody else is organized. <laughs> we're like. And I'm telling you, it really gets crazy. I mean, our idea of, a, of, of, of an assault on the kings of darkness is 100 people blowing shofars. I, I don't know what we're doing. And I'm Jewish. <laughs> well, that's taken care of it, Brother Lance. I don't know. Blowing the shofar isn't the only thing that's going to work. So I start looking at these structures and I say, wait a second, children of Israel, my friends, you're supposed to be the head and not the tail. You're supposed to be above and not beneath. I'm telling you this, this, you're not supposed to be down here looking up. You're supposed to be owning this mountain and occupying these gates. Why? Because I will build my church and these gates will not prevail against them. The problem is the church, the ecclesia, isn't going up against the gates. And I'm convinced it's because we need a Babylon model because we're heading into Babylon. Book of Revelation, Babylon is the end time metaphor for the world, what it looks like. Babylon is when the world system is under the control of darkness but God has his Daniels. He has his Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has them in high places. And by the way, these guys here gathered together as a small group. They met in the government mountain. So let's say this here, I'll put a crown up here. Let's say this is the government mountain. Daniel and his folks were meeting at the top of that mountain. And their meeting at the top of that mountain, if you don't mind me putting it this way, their meeting enabled them to have authority over hell in that mountain. Daniel was put in charge of all the wise men. Why do you think they put him in the lion's den? You all know the little story. So it's called Daniel in the lion's den. What you don't know is it was for envy, jealousy. Because here's the problem. Everybody wants favor, but favor provokes your enemies. The more favor you have, the more people will hate you without a cause. To the degree that witchcraft is in them, they will sense that you have authority over them and they'll resent you and want to take you out, which is why they want to lock up Donald Trump right now. They don't like the movement coming from outside the gates. They don't want people rising up and doing and taking over. They want to be in control. So, the church right now is still stuck in the model of being over here trying to have Holy Ghost meetings, signs, wonders, miracles. Woo, we even grow. We get bigger, more signs, wonders, miracles. We'll get on TV. Woo, bigger conferences, bigger speakers. Wee, and what happens? The whole city goes to hell. Elections get stolen. Crime proliferates. And your children get totally re-educated by the left to be disciple to be filled with demons. That's some victory there. And it's inevitable because you're supposed to go into all the world, not isolate yourself from all the world. Now, I was, the, I was a church growth expert. I believed that if we grew this thing here big enough, we could suck everybody else in. Then one day the Lord said to me, what part of go ye into all the world do you not understand? I said, but Lord, I'd rather have a revival and have them come ye. I want a come ye move of God, like Toronto. Everybody come ye, 24 hours a day, revival. Ooh, people falling down the glory cloud, miracles, signs, and wonders. Lord said your problem is everybody wants Rachel Rachel's revival nobody wants Leah she's the unattractive sister that produces the kingdom the priesthood and the Messiah comes out of Leah nobody likes Leah Leah's not pretty Leah's ugly but revival's beautiful oh we love beautiful revival." But getting involved with politics, getting involved with business, getting involved with finance, getting involved with corruption, getting involved with trafficking, getting involved with the school board. Oh, that's so strifeful. I just think if I'm going to be really pure, I'm going to blow the shofar and go on a fast. <laughs> Completely irrelevant. And useless. So here's, here's the uh, call for your church, if you don't mind me saying so. I believe you're to be a, a, a prophetic church and an apostolic church. I believe you're to be a new model church. I don't believe that your strength is to be determined by how big you get in terms of your gathering power, but how big you get in terms of your facilitating power. That means how many of you can gather people that have mountains on the inside of them, they're called to take, that are frustrated because they're supposed to have an impact out there, and you're supposed to be the ones that do it because the church, here's uh, here's the analogy. Moses by the way, I'm a Levite. I'm an Ashkenazi Jew on my father's side. Long line of rabbis that go all the way back to Moses over here. Moses and Aaron, they hold up the, uh, the rod over here. Joshua is the go ye guy that goes in and takes the land. 90% of the Jews were going in against the Philistines, while 10% the Levites were up there interceding, praying, preparing, and anointing, and equipping. The ministry here is to equip you to go ye and take something. I'm not getting a lot of applause because some of you don't know. That's where your calling is. And if you're not going to go, yay, then what argument do you have with death when plagues come? Oh, God save me. You start quoting Psalm 91. Here's an interesting verse. If you want to really be delivered from premature death, the best way is not to try to build up your confession faith antibodies. Is to be involved with an assignment. Because if you're involved with an assignment that God has you on, you're indestructible until God's assignment is done. When Paul was stuck on a ship that was about to be shipwrecked, he had one glorious consolation. Jesus appeared to him prophetically in a vision and said, you must appear for me in Rome. In other words, his face was in the future. What you want is a clear prophetic assignment that guarantees that this is why Moses prayed that David could say, 1,000 fold at my right and 10,000 at my left hand. Not because I have a better word of faith revelation. It's because your vows are upon me. What vows? The assignment I've got. I've got a job to do. What makes you indestructible isn't the fact that God loves you more than the other person that dies. It's the fact that you're on an assignment. Amen. We all die or we're all going to get rapture, but we're all, we're all going to be. The point is, the distinction between you and someone else is an unfinished assignment. I'll tell you what your assignment is. Go ye into all the world. It's territory Jesus wants. He wants to get. There's angels that are absolutely bored. Bored angels. I sometimes worry about that. I don't want to go traveling around and have my angels looking at Bill Johnson's angels and say, I wish I was with them. <laughs> I'll tell you another weird thing to happen. Since I'm being strange, I'm going to turn this meeting, meeting back over to the pastor. now, so I ran out of time. I had this one time I was up there, I was murmuring. I had to do, I had to do a project of Moravian Falls. I didn't want to go. and Every time I'm home, I want to stay home. I complain about coming out to places. I stopped doing that because I believe I'm led by the Lord when, I'm t- when I say yes. But then I forgot I was anointed when I say yes and so I get back home and I don't want to leave. <laughs> I'll stay home. And then I'm home. I remember one time I had an intercessor friend of mine from Great Britain come over. He's a guy that helped to build the nuclear, uh, build the rocket, uh, the aerial defense of, of uh, Europe. The funny thing is, he's also a prophetic intercessor. He's really wild. So he sees angels. I don't see him. I'm in my house walking around. He, he, I said, I said, Neil, Nick, I'm so sorry. I just have this commitment I've got to keep. Moravian Falls. I said I was going to do an event. I got 100 business people. I got to go. Wish I didn't have to. I got to try to stop doing those meetings. I I forgot. I gotta leave you here alone, sorry. Okay, no problem. And so he's there walking around the house with my cat, Lucius. And he's walking around. He says, he calls me up. He goes, I, I went into your office with Lucius following me around praying, and I, I saw a-, 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 a bunch of angels in your office. And I said to them, they- they stand- I said, what were they doing? He said, they were just standing around talking. And I said to them, what are you doing here? Lance is in Moravian Falls. And they looked at me, and they looked at each other, and they poof, shot right out the window. <laughs> he said, I'm just saying, I think the meetings will go better now. <laughs> oh my god. And the meetings did go better. I said, Lord, what is that? That's so weird. What's going on? Lord said, you're binding up your own angels. I know what? Every time you complain about what you've got to do, you bind your own blessings. From now on, start to thank me for everything that you say yes to, because whether you whether you know it or not, I'm at work, in you both are willing to do my good pleasure, and you bind the anointing by complaining every time you have to do something you don't want to do. Start thanking me and release the angels. I had no idea. So I started getting that revelation, started to Thank the Lord and loose my angels before I get places. Things get set up and they flow better. Does that make sense to you? Well, we got a lot more we got to talk about, a lot more we got to do. I'm going to cover in the next message. Try to get the next one to be translated, obviously, in Spanish and English, so it'll be slower. But I'm going to try to get the second part of this, which is, if you are an ecclesia in Babylon church, then I'm going to suggest you're a different kind of church. You're what we call an apostolic hub. An apostolic hub is a place which has the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers coming in and going out, equipping the saints for the work. And the work is, what's the mountain you're called to take? Yeah. Yeah. Caleb was like 80 years old. He goes to Joshua, and says, I want my mountain. God gave me a vision in my youth and I'm not finished yet. I believe I got the strength right now to go finish that assignment. I want a mountain. So some of you that are older and retired and that are finished with a career, you need to know this is the church where you're like Caleb and God's going to equip you to go take your mountain. Some of you that have been in ministry a little burned out. I've done this, done that. Well, I don't know. You're trying to figure out what you do next. Get back in the assignment, brother and sister. That's your guarantee of extended warranty on your body. <laughs> and uh, and quit murmuring, complaining about all the pain you've gone through. You, you, Where do you see the next half of your, uh, your Super Bowl performance? <laughs> and so uh, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy the next half because you're gonna be doing. You're gonna be taking more enemies out than you ever took before, like Samson. You'll do more damage in the last part than in the first part. And this church is destined for these kind of things. I'm sorry your pastor said to go through these contradictions with your leg getting busted up and you get your dad sick like that. And and I I just, my heart goes out because I know this is, I was trying to encourage him last night. I said, but when you're called for this particular anointing, the characteristic of the apostle, the apostolic anointing is, yes, it's going to be signs and wonders of the supernatural. But the other characteristic is with all Endurance. I hate to say it, but enduring contradictions is part of the preparation for an apostolic hub where you see God doing miracles and doing things. Just enough evidence. It's like, well, I see God working over there. I need God to do something over here. Well, he will. But there's an endurance part. What's, what's God doing? He's building your, it's like a bridge. You've got to be a bridge that can handle heavy equipment going over it. If you're a weak bridge, your bridge will collapse when God sends the greater works, the greater glory, the greater ministries. So God's got to, but you know, you don't have to be a big church. You can be like whales. Wales hosted the mightiest revival in the world. They can only get 300 people in the room at one time. Everybody's lined up on the streets, like three or 400 people in Wales. You can have that kind of glorious thing. How many of you would love to be what God wants you to be?